Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. The Lord willing, this morning I would like to think together for a few moments on the subject of divine chastening or the Father's Child Training Program. And we look at Hebrews chapter 12, reading verses 4 to 17. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed." Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. May the Holy Spirit, who inspired these words, bless them to our understanding and edification this morning. You'll notice in the reading, he uses the term chasten. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. Chastisement, or discipline, if you please, is not a real popular subject today, because in the minds of most people, when they think of discipline, they think of paddling as a form of corrective behavior. But interestingly, the Greek word translated chastening in this passage is the word padia, from which we get our English word pediatrics. And it means literally child development or child training. I think it's important for us to get away from the idea that chastening or discipline is always corrective. Sometimes it's preventative. In fact, most of the time, discipline or making a disciple. Do you see the root word disciple in the word discipline? Most of the time, discipling a child, just like discipling a Christian, is a matter of teaching, education, training, which includes much more than just some kind of parental punishment, 
when someone has done wrong. It includes the whole gamut of what we would call child training and child development. So in this passage where the apostle speaks of chastening, he's talking about, if you please, making a disciple. And that includes both the thought of preventative training, primarily through verbal instruction and education, and it also includes the idea of corrective training through the application of some form of discomfort. Now this passage tells us that our Heavenly Father is interested in training His children. And what kind of parent just leaves their children to run wild? Not a parent that loves his or her children. That's a parent who loves themselves, according to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings his parent to shame. I've seen a few of those at the grocery store, haven't you? I've seen a few of these children left to themselves, and I mean they know how to play the parent. You can see it. Not that toy. I want the brand name toy. The mom says, no, this one is cheaper and it's just as good as the brand name. No, I want the brand name. And before you know it, there's the showdown at the OK Corral. And finally, just so little Johnny is happy and doesn't cause any more of a scene than he already has, you know, he wins the battle. The fact is, our Heavenly Father cares enough about His children to invest teaching in their lives. The idea that a parent says, you just raise yourself, you know, just do what you want to do. I just want you to be happy, but never provides any structure, any boundaries any checks and balances, who never says no, that situation is going to bring long-term heartache to the parent and long-term displeasure to the child because there is no form in our current world and life today in which discipline, self-discipline, is not needed. If you have a job, obviously you've got to show up on time. You've got to do the work that's before you. You've got to listen to your superintendent your manager, your supervisor, and do what they say. You say, well, nobody tells me what to do. Well, you won't get by very long in life if you don't have some form of discipline. If you don't obey the rules of the road, the rules of society, then eventually you'll have to deal with the long arm of the law. Discipline must be taught, and it is important to be taught at home. And it mainly, again, takes the form not of the application of the rod of correction, although that is part of it, but it is primarily a matter of verbal instruction. Now, somebody might say, well, that's the grandparents' mindset. (laughs) Yes, I had the dad's mindset one time, but you know, as I get older, I think you can do a lot more through talking, and maybe that's just that I'm getting soft in my old age. I don't know, yet... I think it's important for us to read this passage, not as God punishing us, but to read it in terms of the Father's child training in a broader, more general sense. Okay, with that thought, I hope that's clear. I think it's helpful then to look at Hebrews chapter 12 in the context of this larger theme of Christian faithfulness and perseverance. You know, in the third verse, he says, Consider Jesus that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. That's the problem that faced the Hebrews. They were growing weary. They were starting to give up. They were about to faint in their minds. Their mindset was growing discouraged with the pressure of serving Christ and the opposition they were getting. So Paul writes Hebrews 12 
to exhort them one final time to keep going, not to give up. And to do that, as we learned last time, it involves maintaining the big picture focus or perspective. Last time, you may remember, we looked at the first of three metaphors in this chapter, the running of a relay race. Today, we look at the second, the training of a child in the home. Christians are runners in the relay of truth. We've taken the baton from Old Testament saints, and we're running the anchor leg in this last stage of human history, the new covenant. Jesus will come again. We're running the end of this race of faith. That's one metaphor. The big picture that it talks about in the first three verses is the big picture of redemptive history. What he's telling us in that passage where he says, let us run with patience the race set before us, is think of your Christian life in terms of the anchor leg and a medley relay that goes all the way back to Abel, Noah, Abraham, and the rest. They ran their race, and they've handed the baton to us, and now it's our turn to run. Now he switches in the passage I've read in your hearing from the big picture of redemptive history to the big picture of sanctification. And he's saying, learn to think of your troubles and difficulties in life in terms of your heavenly Father's purpose to train you and to make you holy, to grow you in Christ's likeness. That's sanctification. Now, if you've hung around Primitive Baptist churches for very long, you know we preach a lot about justification. We don't preach as much about sanctification. Justification has to do with your legal status before God. It has to do with your relationship to God. You are his children. You've been cleansed and forgiven for all of your sins at the cross. You're righteous. You have a righteous status before God. On the record books of heaven, you are as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous because his obedience has been imputed to your account. That's justification. But sanctification has to do with your personal character development, who you really are on the inside. It has to do with holiness. You know, righteousness is legal, holiness is moral. Those two constructs. Justification speaks of your standing before God, holiness or sanctification, those two terms are synonyms, speaks of the kind of people that you are on the inside. And in this passage in Hebrews 12, he's talking about God's purpose to make you and me into better people. God, my beloved, is not only interested in your home in heaven uh, by and by, but God is interested in the kind of people you and I are right now. And as our loving Heavenly Father, He works to shape us, to mold us, to grow us, to develop us so that we become increasingly more and more like Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. Now I would ask you today, my friends, are you more like Jesus today than you were 10 years ago? And that's a hard question to answer, I know. But I want to be more like my Savior. I hope you do. I feel like I'm more like uh, first Adam than I am the second Adam most of the time. I've said several times recently that around every one of our necks could hang a sign that said, under construction, you and I are in process of becoming. Now, hopefully I'm more mature today than I was 10, 15, 20 years ago. I hope I'm able to control my attitude better so that it's not up and down. My moods are not so, you know, like a roller coaster. I hope that there's greater consistency in my focus from day to day. We all have our bad days, no doubt, but yet I hope that for the most part I'm growing, and you too. 
But we're not where we ought to be yet. And here's what Hebrews 12, the passage I read this morning, is teaching us. The Heavenly Father uses the circumstances and challenges in our lives to teach us. He is at work in it all. In His providence, to sanctify us through difficulties and afflictions, God is interested as a loving Father in developing His children to spiritual maturity. Now, the Hebrews needed to recover this big-picture grid for thinking about their problems, for they were thinking only in terms of their personal losses and crosses. He says it like this in verse number 5, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. And he's about to quote from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. That's the exhortation in their Old Testament that they had forgotten. And what he's saying here is you haven't been reading your Bibles. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says it like this, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Now he quotes that now in Hebrews 12. And he says, you Hebrews have forgotten that exhortation from the Old Testament. You're God's beloved children growing up in the Father's house, and that means that what happens to you, the Heavenly Father is interested in using it again to shape you. So let's, this morning, first mention a reminder. Secondly, a reason, a rationale for chastening. Thirdly, a recipe. And finally, a reaction. First, a reminder. Here's the reminder. Don't forget your role as a child in God's family. That's what he's saying in verses 6 through 8. It's helpful for each one of us to remember that I am my father's child and he cares about making me more like himself. The goal of parenting is to raise children to grow up to be like the parents. What happens in so many cases today is parents abdicate their responsibility to others, and the children end up growing up to be like their peers. You know, they spend all their time around their friends at school and so forth, and the parents are busy with their own projects and hobbies and so forth, and uh, the children are sent off to be tutored by others, and they end up gravitating toward the popular fads among their peers. But the goal of biblical parenting is that a child would grow up to be like the parent, that the child would learn to be self-disciplined like the parent, to be responsible, to be even-keeled, to have the same kind of focus and attitude and integrity that they see in their father or their mother. My beloved, may I say it's one of the greatest relationships to have is to be a child in the family of God. You know, today you are a child in God's family because of his marvelous grace. I love the verse in 1 John 3, 1 that says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now that's true right now. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to be a child of God. If the Holy Spirit has taken up his abode in your heart, you're a child of grace right now. Now are you the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't exactly understand all that heaven entails, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day we will be perfectly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in heaven. Until that happens, the heavenly father is interested in shaping us, developing us, training us. We're in training right now so that we would grow in godliness. I love a quote by the late J.I. Packer who said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and of having God as his father. 
If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. The hymn writer put it like this, my father is rich in houses and lands. You know, little kids like to brag on their dads on the playground. Well, Christians, my beloved, should never tire of bragging on their heavenly father. My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold, his coffers are full. He has riches untold, and I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. With Jesus as my savior, I'm a child of the king. When the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart, he prompted you to cry, Abba, Father. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray like this, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My beloved, you have a heavenly father. You may not have an earthly father still around. Perhaps your earthly father has gone home to be with the Lord. Perhaps your earthly father was less than stellar in his fathering abilities. Maybe he dropped the ball. Maybe he actually harmed you. I'm telling you, you have a perfect heavenly father and you're a child in God's family. Don't forget the exhortation which speaks to you as unto children. My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. And if you're a child in God's family because of his marvelous grace, what rich encouragement this is to know that he cares enough to train you. He's not a passive father. Our heavenly father does not say, don't bother me, kids. I'm watching the ball game. Our heavenly father, my beloved, loves his children enough to disciple or chasten or train them. Discipline is evidence that your father loves you. Isn't that what our text says? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now, you young people, you've heard uh, your parents say, it hurts me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And you say, yes, it may do so, but it doesn't hurt you in the same place that it hurts me. But the fact is, I really didn't understand that until I grew up and had children of my own. And then I realized that it does hurt to say no. It hurts to impose boundaries. I mean, no loving parent loves to cause discomfort, loves to displease the child. But you see, the fact is children don't know really what they need at that stage. They think that they need every toy that hits the market. They think they want to eat everything that is available. You know, marshmallows for breakfast and uh, for lunch and for supper. They say, I don't like broccoli. I don't want carrots. Don't make me eat vegetables or meat. I'd rather have candy. But you see, the parent knows better than the child, right? Because the parent's more experienced, the parent's wiser, the parent has a fuller life experience to draw from. And the fact that our Heavenly Father cares enough to be committed to our spiritual growth and development is an evidence of His love, His unfailing love. Now, every child of God will be disciplined. Notice he says in verse 8, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, that is, all of God's children are trained. All of God's children are discipled. All of God's children are chastened. Now, all don't benefit from it, that's for sure. And the reason they don't benefit is because he says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. First of all, sometimes when chastening takes place, there is a rebellion that rebel sigh that pushes back against it, that resists it, that despises it. What right do you have to tell me no? And secondly, there's this other response where we faint, as verse 5 says, when we're rebuked of him. And on one end, there is ultimate resistance. 
the stiff neck, if you please. I will not bend. I will not cry. And on the other hand, there's this complete brokenness where someone says, well, I'll just give up then. If you're going to tell me no, then nothing matters and I'll just lose heart entirely. The fact is, my friends, both of those responses are sinful. And the right response is not to despise the chastening of the Lord, neither to faint when we're rebuked of him, but rather to be in subjection, as verse 9 says, to the Father's spirits and live. Now, there's a difference between God's punitive judgments and his parental judgments. There's an interesting contrast in the 50th Psalm between God's judgment of his saints in the first half of the psalm and his judgment of the wicked in the last half of the psalm. If you'll notice verses 5 through 15, he says, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Verse 16 says, But unto the wicked God saith. Notice the contrast between the saints and the wicked in Psalm 50. And he says to the saints, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against thee, for God is judge himself. God says, I'm going to bring you to my judgment seat, and we're going to have a discussion. He's talking to his saints. But he says this to the saints in verse 8, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices. And that word reprove literally means I will not enter into a covenant lawsuit with you. I will not divorce you. You're my children. We have a relationship I will not reprove thee. But unto the wicked, verse 16 says, God says in verse 21, I will reprove thee. Notice there's a contrast in Psalm 50 between God's parental judgments of his children and his punitive judgments on the wicked. And that's an important distinction, my beloved. May I say, when the Father chastens you and me, it's never punitive. He doesn't chasten us like a judge would a criminal. In a court of law, he chastens us as a loving father would a child in whom he delights. Chastening never nullifies the covenant union that God has made by his marvelous grace. Instead, it's actually a provision of the covenant relationship. Psalm 89, 25 says about the Lord Jesus Christ, I will make him my firstborn, God says, higher than the kings of the earth. Christ, of course, has been exalted to heavenly glory, higher than every earthly monarch. Then he says this, if his children forsake my law. Now I will ask you this morning, does that ever happen? Jesus Christ, my beloved, is at the Father's right hand, but we're left down here to grapple with the flesh and the world and the devil. And do we ever fall into disobedience? Absolutely. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my statutes, does that ever happen in your life? It does in mine. If they break my commandments, then I will completely cut them out of the will. Is that what he says? No. He doesn't say I will disinherit them. No, Christ has done the work. He's gone back to heaven, but now we're left behind and sometimes we disobey God. What will happen? Will we be disinherited? No. He says, then I will visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness... Will I not utterly take from him nor suffer my faithfulness to fail? May I say that God's chastening in your life and mine does not mean that he's quit loving you. In fact, the very opposite is true. It is an ultimate evidence of the Father's love and of your relationship to him. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? 
Now, we used to have neighborhood kids when I lived in a cul-de-sac, and I'll have to tell you, I did not discipline the neighbor's children. I wanted to at times, but I never did so because I knew that that wouldn't sit well with social relationships. It wasn't appropriate. A father disciplines his own children. He trains his own family. And the Heavenly Father, the fact that you have felt His chastening, that you feel like He's working on you, He's knocking off the rough edges in your attitudes. You ever feel like God's doing that? That He's shaping you with a mighty heavenly plane? You ever feel like He's running you through the planer? He's knocking off the rough edges. He's rounding out the knots in your life and in your character. Do you ever feel like the Lord, my beloved, is whittling you down or if I could switch metaphors, that he's putting you into the fire, into the crucible, and burning out the dross. And you say, boy, that trouble, that trial that I went through was awfully difficult. But you see, my beloved, it's important for us to see all of life as the Heavenly Father's training ground where he's helping us to be more Christ-like. And that includes the preaching and teaching of God's Word in church on Sundays. Now, that's the main way that God disciplines us. You see, what church members are, or Christians, they are disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a follower. In ancient times, when a philosopher had his students, his disciples, you know, like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, whenever they would go around and teach, their students would sit on the ground with them, and they would follow them throughout the course of the day, you had the master and the students, you had the teacher and the disciples, and the goal was for the disciple to become like the teacher. It is enough, says Matthew chapter 10, for this disciple that he be as his master. The goal is that I want to learn to be just like you. You know, the Greek word is mathetes, which means that the, the student wants to grow up to be like the teacher. That's why it's so important, my beloved, to have good teachers in public education and private education in our country because students are going to be like their teacher. So the point is, as we talk about this reminder, God, as our Heavenly Father, wants us to be like Him. But it's not a disinheriting. It's not a dynamic in which He cuts us out of the will. For Lamentations chapter 3 says, The Lord doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. He doesn't take some sinister kind of delight in making life difficult for His children but he wants the will to be harnessed, not the spirit to be broken, but the will to be harnessed. Okay, we've talked about the relationship, a reminder. Don't forget your role as a child in God's family. Let's talk about the reason that the father chastens us, the rationale. The father's goal in child training is our holiness. You see that in verses 9 and 10. He says, we've had fathers of our flesh who corrected us. So that's true for most of us. We had a dad in the home that told us no, that said, uh, use good manners, don't talk to your mom that way. We had fathers of our flesh that corrected us, and we gave them reverence. We respected them. Should we not much rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days, and notice that expression for a few days, that tells you how long you have an opportunity as a parent to influence your children. It's just a few days. And man, that's true, isn't it? Look at our girls today, they're young ladies, you know, teenagers. They were just little tykes when we moved here. Some of you may remember that. I forget it until I look at pictures from a few years back. I think, man, when did this happen? And it happens before you know it, for a few days. 
That's how little of a time. You say, preacher, right now my kids are so high maintenance and every waking moment is spent trying to teach them and train them and teach them to be more responsible and it's just so frustrating. I want to tell you, blink and turn around twice and go to bed one night and wake up the next morning and it'll be over because it happens quickly. You only have a little short window to influence them and there's nothing more important, parents, than to point those little ones that God has given you toward the mark. Now, we, none of us are perfect, and that's what he says. They chastened us after their own pleasure, that is, as it seemed right to them. After their own pleasure doesn't mean they took some sinister delight in afflicting their children, but it means they chastened us, they dis disciplined us as it seemed right to them. There is not a perfect parent. Each of us have gone too far or been too lax. I mean, we've erred on both ends of that spectrum. There's not a perfect parent. Most parents, my friends, make a lot of mistakes. And kids that say you haven't been a perfect parent, just remember when you're the parent, you won't be perfect either. But our parents have been put in place for the sake of teaching and training and developing us into mature people. Even though they weren't perfect themselves in the process, yet they only had a short window to do it and they did the best that they could in most respects. But here's the contrast in this verse. Our Heavenly Father never makes a mistake. Our Heavenly Father is a perfect Father. But He chastens us for our profit that we might be partakers of His holiness. And the word holiness, again a synonym for sanctify, is the Bible shorthand of talking about God's divine character. Everything that distinguishes Him from us, He's holy. And the point of this verse is that God is at work in our lives so that we would be partakers, that is, share in common his character. The child is intended to grow up to be like the parent. God chastens us in a perfect way. It's always perfectly measured. It's always appropriate to the situation, and he does so so that we might grow up to be like him for our profit. Character development, in other words, is the goal. Now, we're talking about practical sanctification here. And I don't want to get too technical and to lose you, but uh, when we, the whole subject of sanctification has to be rightly divided. There's an eternal phase. When Jesus died on the cross, he made us holy as we'll ever need to be. For instance, you take an old saint that's been faithful to the Lord for many, many years. Let's say that saint passes away. And a little baby dies at the very same moment. Which one of them is holier than the other and will get into heaven first? They'll both get into heaven at the same time, right? The little baby goes into the presence of God at the same time the aged saint does because our home in heaven depends on what Christ did for us, not how much you've grown spiritually in this world. Does that make sense? But when it comes to glorifying Christ and serving Him in this life, my friends, May I say, we should all want to grow. We should all want to become more mature so far as Christian character, the development of Christian character. The fruit of the Spirit is concerned. Love. Now, if when you're born again, you have love in your heart, but we could be more loving, right? I need to be more loving. Joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what he says in verse 11. The chastening that we endure is meant to yield peaceable fruit. 
of righteousness, that is the fruit of the Spirit. The goal is that we would be practically, that is in our daily lives and behavior, sanctified. And I want to say that sanctification or holiness is not developed passively. Now, salvation, regeneration happens, you're passive in that. But when it comes to spiritual growth and maturation, development in your character and in your ability to handle problems and in controlling your moods and your words and, you know, keeping your focus more consistent, when it comes to spiritual development in your life and mind, that doesn't happen by magic. The Keswick Conference in Great Britain, which gave way to the Quaker idea of quietism in the Quaker movement that just let go and let God. That if you want to be holy, it's just going to happen to you and you just need to quit working at it and it'll strike you from heaven. That idea, my friend, seems to me is very contrary to what the Bible teaches about Christian living. Now, salvation happens to you. But I'm telling you, God's not going to strike you with a thunderbolt from heaven and make you holy. <laughs> it's a spiritual discipline. It takes hard work. Exercise thyself, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, unto godliness. That word is gymnasio, from which we get our English word gymnasium. Go to the gym. You're in training. If you're going to compete, or if I'm going to compete in an athletic contest, I dare say sleeping late and waking up and eating four Twinkies, and uh, drinking a Coca-Cola, and then watching soap operas for a while, then maybe lifting a little five-pound dumbbell, uh, five reps on each arm, and then saying, I think it's time for a nap. And then I'm going to go binge on uh, movies tonight and popcorn and pizza. That, my beloved, is not the way to train yourself to compete, is it? That's not a good training program. You've got to go to the gym. You've got to work out. You've got to pump iron. You've got to sweat to the point of exhaustion. It takes hard work to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. So, Brother Mike, just a minute. I thought I was in a primitive Baptist church. What did the sign say out there? You're telling me I've got to work hard at being a Christian? Absolutely. If you don't, it won't just happen to you. Now, God is merciful. Thank God He's a God of grace, and He blesses us many times in spite of ourselves. But we shouldn't depend on that. We shouldn't presume on that. My beloved, we need to put forth the effort to read our Bibles. So, well, brother, just a minute. Read, read. I'm not a reader. I'm just not a reader. Well, join the club. It's so much easier to watch TV. You know, the images are already there. You don't have to work at it. But to pick up your Bible and to read it, to spend time in prayer, you say, well, I've got too much to do to pray. Well, I would encourage you, my friends, to maybe set your alarm clock for 10 minutes before you usually get up and get up a little earlier and spend a little quiet time, read a couple of chapters from the Bible, and now center your thoughts and say, Lord, please help me today. Help me to think upon your name. Help me to grow and to be self-controlled. Help me to be a blessing to others. And Lord, thank you for all you've done for me. And then just start counting your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of me these 50-odd years or 30-odd years or 70-odd, however many it is. Thank you, Lord, for my parents. Thank you for my siblings. Thank you for carrying me through those low points I went through. And Lord, uh, thank you most of all for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you for giving to me thy great salvation so full and free. And then, Lord, uh, I'm thinking about brother so-and-so. He's been sick. Sister so-and-so, she's going through a tough time in her relationships. 
Mr. So-and-so is out of work. This person is feeling very much alone and depressed, struggling psychologically. Lord, would you please help them? Spend a little time, my friends. Make an effort. Is that too hard? And then when it comes time to have church, it's Lord's Day morning. Let's go and give him the glory that is due to his name. And let's be disciplined by his word. For the main way that the Father disciples us is by reminding us of what the word says. And just by telling us who he is and what he requires of us helps us to think, okay, I'm starting to go in the wrong direction. My heart's growing cold. I need to repent. Revelation 3.19 says it like this, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. God rebukes and chastens. How does he do so? He does so by teaching us, by talking to us. That's the main way. And if we won't submit to the teaching of the word, we say, well, I'm not going to do what that says. I don't, in fact, I don't want anybody calling me into question or telling me what I'm doing is wrong. The church doesn't have any right to try to help me be a disciple. I'm my own person, and you just mind your own business. About the time we get into that mindset, my friends, if the verbal instruction hasn't worked, God applies the rod. And it gets a little harsher and more severe, doesn't it? And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, that's the idea. He does it for our profit. It's for your benefit. You might ask, Brother Mike, what does it look like to be spiritually mature or holy? Read verses 12 to 17 in this text. It looks like in corporate language that you begin to encourage others. You lift up the hands that hang down and you, you confirm the feeble knees. You, that is, you're concerned about others. People that are more Christ-like are interested in trying to ease other people's burdens. Encourage the downcast. Strengthen the weak. They want to make straight paths for their own feet, lest that which is lame be turned. Uh, that is, they are constantly thinking about how their personal lifestyle impacts others who are struggling to do the right thing. Then furthermore, they have an ambition for the unity and spiritual growth of others in the church. As he says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. May I say, if you want to see God at work in your life, you want to see him so far as your fellowship with him is concerned, it requires holiness and a passion and pursuit of unity in our lives, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. And then the final point I want to make, my friends, we've talked about this reminder. Don't forget your role as a child in God's family. The reason God chastens us is so that we would be like him. We would partake in his holiness. How does he do it? Through his word, through the trials and difficulties of our life. And sometimes if we've stiffened our neck and we haven't responded well to the initial efforts to train us, he does so by correcting and rebuking us. And what is the determining factor of success in any child training program? It is your reaction. Verse 11. The last phrase of verse 11 says, No chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Man, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> When the Lord's correcting you, you say, this is not pleasant. I'd much rather be taking a nap or having a jello pudding or playing in the water or watching TV. This is not pleasant. No chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it's the long range view that's important. It yields the peaceable fruit. It'll be good for you in the long run if, and here's what matters. Here's the key to the whole thing. 
unto them which are exercised. It yields peaceable fruit unto them who are exercised thereby. That is, every one of God's children is disciplined. Every one of them is trained. But all do not benefit from it. What determines success? What determines your benefit or mine? Whether it does any good or not largely depends on how you and I respond to it. Are you being exercised by it? You see, there are three ways you can respond to the Father's child training program or that I can respond in the first two are sinful. We can despise it, or we can be discouraged and faint by it, or we can submit to it and say, Lord, teach me the lesson. I want to be submissive and humble. Sanctification or spiritual growth is not automatic or guaranteed in your life or mine. It depends on how you and I respond to it. So if we're going to live holy lives, my beloved, it takes a daily effort on your part and mine to say no to self, to deny yourself, and to follow Jesus, to say yes to him, and then to look beyond chastening present pain to the long-term pleasure of a life that's more pleasing to God. That will happen if we respond humbly to the Father's child training in our lives. We're all a work in process, aren't we, my beloved? But growing towards spiritual maturity should be my primary goal in life and yours as well. The thing that is more important than anything else. And then, therefore, anything that the Lord might use, whether it's a trial, a difficulty, a hardship, a, a disappointment, a sermon, anything that will help me to be more godly. I say thank you to my loving Heavenly Father for loving me enough to invest time and effort into training and developing me and his patience for my small progress thus far. Thank you, Lord, for that as well. That's the big picture perspective of facing your difficulties in life by looking at it in terms of the Heavenly Father's child training program.